up to our God today, church. Good morning. How you doing? Go ahead and have a seat. Man, full house today. So glad that you are here. How many of you know that we have a sovereign God and there are no accidents, right? Do you know that? Do you believe that? I want you to know this. It is not an accident that you are here today. You are here today for a reason. And I've been praying for you. I've been praying as we, as we talk about something today that's very serious. By the way, I came up yesterday for our Disciple Now for a few moments, and I went to the morning session. And you know how cool it was to see this room filled wall to wall with teenagers? It was awesome. I love that so much. And I'm so glad. Let's give them a round of applause. So glad they are here. I love having you guys in here. And I love that you guys are sitting up here. So glad that you are here. We are we are, uh, I'm excited about you being here today because you're about to see the beginning uh, of what I believe and what I've been sensing in my spirit is going to be one of the biggest ministries that EBC has ever been a part of. God is developing this. God's been putting this together. He's been burdening hearts uh, for a little bit. Got, got some ring on this, Rick, a little bit. It's a ministry that is called the Hope Ministry. And it is carrying, uh, this whole ministry is, is, is about uh, a ministry for those who are battling with mental health issues. It's caring for the mind with the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to explain more about that today. You're going to hear a little bit more about that today. And so I'm excited about this ministry kicking off. It's kicking off this spring. We've been tilling the soil of this for a while. God's been getting us ready. And this thing is really already underway as leaders have already been being trained. I mean, this truly is going to be something that I, I feel like is going to be one of the things that EVC is going to be known for in our community is coming alongside people who are battling with mental health struggles. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about you being here as we also wrap up this series. We've been talking about a series called True You. And in the True You series, we've been talking about these different spokes on this wheel of our life. And we talked about the spiritual part of our life. And we want this wheel to be in balance, okay? And when the, when the wheel is in balance and we're reflecting the true you that God created us to be, it's actually reflecting Jesus Christ to the people who are around us in our life. But a lot of times, when one of these spokes gets out of balance, the spiritual spoke, we talked about the relational spoke, the financial spoke, uh, we, we, we talked about the vocational part of this last week, even the physical part of our health, all of these areas. When that gets out of balance, it throws this whole wheel out of balance. And, and I've shared with you very candidly over the last few weeks how, how at certain points in my life, that wheel of my life has been out of balance. What we've been hoping to do is to bring that wheel back into balance. And so we're concluding today with an area that I really believe has been an area that has been, has been just not talked about enough by the church as a whole. And this is with this mental spoke that we're going to talk about, the mental part of our lives, our mental wellness. Okay, and when I talk to you about this today, you need to know that as I lead our church, as God has called me to be one of the leaders of our church, I want you to understand that as I lead our church, that I lead in brokenness that I lead with some brokenness in my life in this particular area. Now, what I'm gonna share with you today, and I'm so glad so many of our students are here with us today. I really am glad. I'm really glad to see some of the guys that I'm the chaplain for the football team, and I'm, I love seeing you guys here today and that you're gonna learn some things about, about your pastor, okay? About your chaplain that maybe you didn't know. And, and, and here's the thing. I'm gonna be sharing with you some of my personal testimony. Today is gonna to be a little bit different 
If you're new here and you think, man, this guy never uses the Bible, you need to come back, okay? Because you'll know I, I preach from the Bible, but I wanna share some of my testimony today. And I am gonna share some passages of scripture with you today, but I'm not gonna be taking a passage and what they call exegeting it today is a lot of times I normally will, okay? Some of you are like, what is exegeting? Don't worry about that, all right? But breaking that passage down. I will be doing that soon. We're gonna be leading into a series call, uh, that's, that's on the book of Daniel. We'll be going through that book soon. But today I just wanna, I just wanna share with you some things in my own life, okay? How many of you, you want to have leaders and pastors that will get real with you. You want that, okay? And for a long time, a lot of us as pastors have been afraid to talk about stuff that we've struggled with in our lives. And for various reasons. Through some of my own brokenness in my life, one of the core values that I have in my life personally, and I hope this becomes a core value of yours, here's what it is, authenticity. I want to be real. I want to be what you, what you see here is what you get whenever I'm out there, whenever I'm at my house, whenever I'm with you guys on Friday mornings, you know, uh, the football team, or whether I'm with you guys on whenever I might see you here at EVC. I want you to know what you see is what you get. And so that is, that is a core value of mine. Another core value is this, and this goes along with this. It's transparency. It's just kind of being real with you. And I think it's something that people in our generation are craving for today is they're, they're looking for, for authenticity. So what you're going to see sometimes whenever you have that is sometimes it's a little messy in our lives when we're real with you and we open up about things that we struggle with and, and things that we battle with. And I want to talk to you about this struggle that I've had in my life. And this message, again, is very personal to me. This ministry, the Hope Ministry, is a personal ministry to me because this spoke of, of mental wellness and mental health at certain points in my life has been out of balance. And when that has been out of balance, as I've been sharing every week, that impacts the physical part of our life. That also impacts the relational part of our life. All of these spokes are interconnected, right? They're totally interconnected. And so for most of my life, I can remember, especially in my teenage years, I can remember battling with, with bouts of depression. They would be anywhere from two to three days at a time. Not anything hugely unusual. Okay, I mean, there would be times where I would just feel this great deep sense of sadness for various reasons. And, and I, I think some of you could probably really relate to this. Sometimes I didn't really know what was going on, but most of the time after a couple of days or maybe even a day or so, I would kind of feel like I would get out ahead of it and everything would just be fine. All right, I've described this to you before as I've been open with many of you. If you've been around our church for any amount of time, you've heard me call it this in my life because I've talked about this before. I've called it the cloud. Like there's this cloud that I've often felt like is kind of chasing me sometimes. Some of you may know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about and that's okay. But some of you, you, you know what I'm talking about and it's like this cloud has kind of been on my heels, just kind of nipping at me. And, and for most of my life, I've been able to stay just ahead of the cloud. And, I, and sometimes I'd really get far ahead of it and I'd be doing just fine, you know, and things would be okay. And, but, but, but there was a period of time about nine, nine and a half years ago was not only the, 
the darkest time in my ministry, I would tell you this, it was probably the darkest time in my life. And I did not understand what was going on. The cloud that had been nipping at me for all of these years in my life, the cloud finally, the cloud finally caught me. And it's like this cloud just circled me. And it was around me. I had no idea what was going on. I was pastoring this church. Man, I'm a pastor. That's not supposed to happen to pastors. That's not supposed to happen to leaders, right? I had no idea why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. This just immense depression began to sink within my, my heart and in my life. Anxiety was something that I was also battling with at that time. In fact, I look back on this now. I had to go to the hospital two times because I thought I was having a heart attack. My dad took me one time because I thought I was having a heart attack and they tested me, everything was fine. I was going, yeah, that's just kind of the story of my life. Nobody can figure out what's going on with me, right? A little later on, I felt the same thing kind of going on and at this time also, I was a little heavier at that point and uh, not a little, a lot heavier. Uh, and, and so I thought I was having heart problems. I went to the doctor, they, they, put, they did a heart cath on me. I had to get all kinds of tests run. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff that was going on I had no idea what was going on. By the way, they put me on the treadmill, and I, again, I was a, a pretty heavy guy at this point, and uh, nothing was wrong. In fact, the doctor, the cardiologist said, man, you're pretty much the fittest fat guy that's ever been on one of these things right now. Well, that'll bless your heart right there. I'm just letting you know, okay? But, but, uh, but that's kind of what was going on. I had no idea what was causing this in my life. I remember thinking this, man, I have Jesus. I have Jesus. I'm in this relationship with Jesus, I got to power through this. I'm Superman, was kind of what I thought. I was a linebacker. You can fight through this stuff, right? And so I would try to power through it, and, and I just could not get out of this funk that I was in. It was just, I, I would, I'd be like, man, what is wrong with you? You have Jesus. You have a beautiful wife who's in here, by the way, all right? You have amazing children. They're in here too, right? And, and, and God has blessed you so much. The church was growing. Good things were happening. Now, I, I can look back now and understand that I was under an enormous amount of stress. It is hard to plant a church from scratch. Um, it's difficult, and, and not only that, there was a lot of, lot of all kinds of things that were going on. There, um, I, I did a lot of funerals. I did a lot of funerals for people who lost children, more so than anybody that I've ever talked to in another church. I mean, it was like God, God had those families in our church for me to be able to minister to them in those times, and that, that was hard on me too, seeing them suffer. I, mean, I had no idea that what was going on with this, that externally I felt like I should have it all together. I felt like everything should be okay here. I should be able just to power through this stuff, but anxiety was overwhelming me. Depression was something that was sinking in on me. And I remember one day I was, I was out in the front yard with my kids who are in here, today, in here today, and Luke comes up to me. He's much younger at this time, and he's got a ball in his hand. He says, Daddy, you want to play catch? I remember I was struggling that day. I had had trouble even getting out of bed that day. You want to play catch, Daddy? I want to be a good father. I think I am a good father. I'm in my kids' lives. But I remember this. I remember saying to Luke, no, buddy, not today. 
I was angry. I was, I was worried about some things. I remember just saying, no, not today. Daddy's not feeling well today. And I, I, I go and I plop down in a, in a lawn chair and I'm sitting in the lawn chair in our front yard over on Arcadia Street in Saginaw over here. I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to be a good father. I'm trying to be a good pastor. I mean, all these things are just pressing on me. I'm feeling, I'm feeling uh, shame for battling with this. I'm feeling guilty that I'm struggling with this. And, and, the, and, the, and then my daughter, Trinity, she was also in the front yard. She comes over and sits in my lap. She's in my lap. I look over. My son, Luke, is playing catch with himself. He's throwing the ball up. I should have been playing catch with him. He's throwing the ball up to himself. I'm sitting there in the chair. It's just a dark moment. And Trinity puts her arms around my neck and she looks right into my face. And she says, Daddy, why are you always so sad? And I remember at that moment thinking, man, what are you doing? Your kids, do you really want them to remember you um, as this despondent, despairing, disillusioned. You feel the preacher coming out in me right now, okay? All the alliteration. Uh, uh, just, is that, really, is that really how you want them to grow up? Is that you are disconnected from them, unwilling to engage, and unwilling to do the hard work, one of realizing, here's the deal. At that moment, I realized something was very very broken inside of me that I did not understand. I had no idea what was going on in my life at that point. I, I, I realized there was this brokenness. I realized that at this point, I need to get some help from somebody. I need to talk to somebody that understands maybe what is going on with me because I can't figure this out. I mean, I'm the guy that people comes to talk to. I'm not the one that usually goes to talk to somebody else. I'm the pastor, right? You're supposed to have it all together. You're not supposed to have problems like this. I realize something has to give here. Uh, if I'm gonna, one, continue to be a pastor of this church, something is gonna have to change in my life. I'm gonna have to understand something. I need to get some help was what I was thinking. One, if not for me, for my wife, and certainly for my kids, and also because... I want you to know this. I want to be a pastor of EBC, Lord willing, the rest of my life. I want to do this the rest of my life. And so at that, po at that point, again, just not really understanding what was going on, I, I got to tell you this. I don't like talking about this. I've asked several people to pray for me today because I don't like talking about this because the man in me wants to just not talk about this. The man in me just wants to shut it down and not, not even in any way open up about this stuff. I was battling with some pride back then and, and again, some shame and some embarrassment with this. And, and the man in me says, don't let anybody know that you have some weakness in your life. Don't let anybody know that. Don't let anybody in on this kind of stuff. That's, that's, that's what you, you can't do that. Again, core value is authenticity, but at that moment, I was like, man, I cannot be real about this. If I get real about this, what is going to happen? Just again, lots of shame. And there's this cycle that was going on because shame makes it worse. Embarrassment creates this terrible cycle. And then, now, some people will try to self-medicate with, uh, with, with drugs. Some will self-medicate with, uh, with alcohol, uh, all kinds of things. Some people, like me, self-medicated with food. 
And that's what I kind of did. And that's why, again, when one spoke is out of balance, it impacts the entire wheel, right? And this was going on in my life. And so this terrible cycle was happening. And, and I just want you to understand that, that, that your leaders here, your pastors here, we want to be transparent. We want to be, we want to open up. We know this, that we are held to a higher standard on the, but, but, but here's the thing. We want you to understand we're on this journey with you. We're on the journey with you. We are not Superman. We're not even super Christian. We're human. We're human just like you are. So I began to actually address this area of my life. I took some advice from somebody that said, dude, you need to go to the doctor. We men do not like going to the doctor, do we? Well, I went to the doctor and the doctor began to explain to me as I shared with him some of the things that I was kind of battling with, started explaining to me some of the physiological things that were happening, things that were happening in my body that I, I didn't know was going on, things that were happening in my brain. My serotonin level was depleted at this point. I didn't even know what serotonin was, okay? It was depleted. My brain was stuck in fourth gear. I was not sleeping there were many nights that I just did not sleep, and I can exist on, on a lot less sleep than, than my wife can, but this was an unhealthy amount of, of a lack of sleep that I was going. I wasn't sleeping. Um, many nights I couldn't sleep. I couldn't turn my brain off. I would lay in bed. I would feel like there was this thousand-pound gorilla that was, was sitting on my chest as I would start just thinking about everything. I could not shut my brain off, so my brain never rested never got any rest. And so the, the doctor began to explain what happens. This is what is kind of happening in your body. And, and I mean, I would be aching. I, my, I would feel aches in my, in my muscles and stuff like this. And I come to, to understand and learn that that was adrenaline, adrenaline that was doing this right to me. And my brain never rested. And, and I remember at this point also taking the advice of somebody else, humbling myself, going and seeing a Christian counselor. Because remember, I'm the guy that people would come to. Now I'm needing to go to talk to somebody. And they didn't just say, hey, Lynn, we're gonna give you some things to kind of help you get over this. It was more like, we wanna give you some tools to help you learn how to manage this in your lifetime. Because if this is what you've been dealing with for all this period, we wanna help you understand some triggers. We wanna help you understand, you know, how to take better care of yourself. You better start working in rhythms of rest which on many day, many weeks, I never took time off. I never disconnected from things. And, and so all of these things began to kind of help me in this journey of healing. I also started reflecting upon the fact that there was something hereditary that was going on within me. My mom, who has said it's okay for me to mention this, she battled at the same time in her life, at the same age that I was battling with some stuff. My mom, I remember my mom being caught up in that dark cloud and not understanding her not understanding what was going on. I was a teenager when that was going on with my mom. And I didn't understand what was happening with her. Now I do. Now I get it. I praise God, I'm doing very well today and there's been a lot of healing in my life, but you need to know I'm still on this journey. I'm still on this journey and as long as I'm in this physical body, we have to understand these physical bodies are broken because of the, the fallen world that we live in. These physical bodies are broken. And I just want to confess this to you, and I, 
I'm, I'm fairly certain you already know this, but it feels good to just kind of confess this to you. I still don't have it all together. And I know that most of you, I was expecting a big amen right there, okay? That's your, that's your chance right there. I don't have it together. I'm in the process of learning more about this and educating myself in that process. You know what I've learned? I learned that some of the most incredible spiritual leaders have battled with this. And when I started learning that, it started kind of freeing me up a little bit. I started feeling better. Have you ever read the Psalms and you read uh, what David has written? Sometimes I read some of those Psalms. I'm like, man, that dude sounds depressed. Have you ever read those? I love that David got real with us, right? Do you realize that Moses, one of the greatest leaders, got so tired of leading, he got so tired of being in the wilderness with those Israelites, at one point he says, God, just kill me. Have you ever felt that way? I don't even want to lead these people anymore. I've never felt that way about you, by the way. I'm just saying, no. <laughs> Elijah. Do you know Elijah said after a great victory, God, would you just kill me? I don't want to go on anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, so many throughout scripture, so many throughout church history, Martin Luther, Charles Spurgeon, other great world leaders, Winston Churchill, you can read about him battling with this same kind of thing. Spurgeon, Luther, Churchill, Abraham Lincoln, Bart Howell, all the greats have battled with this. Seriously, what helped me most was when a, a great pastor up at Denton Bible Church named Dr. Tommy Nelson, just down the road from us, when he opened up, and this guy was spiritual Superman, when he began to open up about his battle with depression and some of the same things that he went through, and he didn't do it to his, he did talk to his church about this, but you know who he, he really opened up to that I thought was fantastic? Guys who were in seminary who sometimes were some of the quickest to judge others. He opened up to them and he said, I hope you never go through what I've gone through. But you need to understand that it's real. You need to understand that, it, that it's real. Some of you know who Louis Giglio is. He's a great pastor of, of uh, Passion City Church in Atlanta. He's, he's got a couple of guys that help lead worship at his church, a guy named Christian Stanfield. Well, this guy named, oh, what's his name, Chris Tomlin. You know, just a tiny little church out there in Atlanta. Louis Giglio has written a book about his battle with this. And I thought, dang, I should have wrote that book, okay? And... Uh, one of my good friends who's also a pastor in our community, Pastor Blake Mabry, he and I were having uh, lunch one day and we were just talking, just kind of just talking about ministry, talking about life. And I kind of opened up with him a little bit about this. And you know what Blake goes, he just gets this look on his face and he's like, dude, me too. I've battled with that too. You see, there's freedom when you begin to get real, right? When you begin to open up. When you begin to share with others and just, just are willing to open up with others about this, all five of our elders, as we talked about this, all five of our elders, we discovered that either we've battled with some of this at some point in our life, or we've had a family member who has battled with it that is also a heartbreaking thing when you have a family member and you can't fix what's going on with them. 
and you want to fix it, but you can't. So here's just something to write down, okay? Mental health struggles are profoundly prevalent. They are prevalent. It's not like this is some oddity as I talk about this. It's an oddity that we're talking about it openly. But it's not odd that it's actually happening with people. One half of all adults will suffer from some kind of mental illness in their lifetime. Some kind of. Whether, I mean, there's various kinds of mental illness, okay? One in five children will have a mental illness by age 18. And this is something that's really burdened my heart when I was up here yesterday and I saw this room filled with teenagers and I was thinking about, I was praying for them, I was worshiping with them, but I was also thinking, I know that there's a lot of them who are battling with this. I know because their parents have talked to me or some of them have talked to me. And I know that our school districts are recognizing that there's something profound that is going on here. Their brains never shut off. And it's just a part of the culture that we're in, the social media culture. We used to could leave a lot of stuff at school. We don't do that anymore, do we? It never shuts off. And so many of them are facing things that a lot of us never faced back in that time. And so this is something that I, that I know is real among them, and it's been something we've seen within our church family. Many who have battled with this. 90% of people who die by suicide also had a mental illness, some kind of mental illness that they didn't feel like they could maybe talk about or it wasn't addressed. Or By the way, we're at a 30-year high, a peak 30-year high for suicide rate in America today. One-third of all alcohol users and half of all drug abusers also battle with mental illness. Many are seeking to self-medicate, as I shared a few moments ago. 22 veterans die by suicide every day. That ought to just cut us to the heart, knowing that that happens. One in five adults in the United States will experience some kind of mental illness in the next year, that's 60 million Americans. It's profoundly prevalent. It means that every one of you in here, I won't ask you to do this, but at some point in your life, you, if you don't personally battle with this, you most likely will have a family member who battles with this or somebody that you love who battles with it and you don't know what to do and you're struggling with that. Whether it's depression, anxiety, eating disorders, bipolar, PTSD, uh, schizophrenia, uh, all kinds of mental illness. There are all kinds of things that affect these brains. Now, as a result of this message today, if you happen to be one of those that would say, I identify in that, I re that resonates with me, Barn. I want you to know a couple of things today. Number one, you are not alone. Amen, right, church? You're not alone. Number two, I want you to know that it's okay for you to not be okay. <laughs> that we are a church where we want people to just be who they are. It's okay to not be okay. You don't have to get yourself all together before you come here, right? Come in just the way you are. Uh, and number three, I want you to know this, that I want you to know that you're loved, that, that Jesus loves you, and not only does Jesus love you, but he has compelled us to also love and come alongside you. And I'll, I'll elaborate more on that here in, here in just a moment. And number four, I want you to know that we feel called by God as your leaders to press into this area in our community and in our world. We feel called by God to lead in this area. And as we lead, we lead in brokenness. We don't lead as those who have it all together. We lead in brokenness. Now, I kind of have viewed this. The Apostle Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh. 
in, in 2 Corinthians, okay? I'm going to take you to a couple of passages of Scripture, but he talks about a thorn in his flesh, and we don't know what that was. There's all kinds of speculation. I don't know, but I know this, that this battle has been the thorn in my flesh. It's been the thing that I've just gone, God, would you please take this away? And there may be some that'd be like, Pastor Bart, as you were going through that, man, you should have just prayed more. I want you to know something, man. I was praying more probably at that time in my life than I even am today. Maybe you should have read your Bible more. I was reading my Bible. You should go to church more. I was leading church. Go to life group. Bart, I was leading life groups. I just want you to understand on the outside, I, I, I had these things that were in place that were supposed to be in place, but there was something else that was broken there. There was something else that was broken. And I asked God, God, please take this away. I, I don't want to deal with this, God. Will you please take it away? Paul said something similar to this. He said three different times, I begged the Lord, take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. Now check this out, because this is powerful. My power, God says, works best in weakness. It works in weakness. So now I'm glad, Paul says, to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I feel compelled to be open with you today. That's why I want you to know that's why guys who play football, I want you to get it. I'm a football guy. I want you to know that God works in our weaknesses. God wants to work through weaknesses in our life. And as much as I don't like talking about it, I want to talk about it because I know that as pastors open up about this, as we begin to talk about this, that God will set some people free. And it's time for the church to stop being silent about it. It's time for the church to open up about this. Write this down. Often, your greatest ministry will emerge from your greatest pain in your life and your greatest weaknesses. Isn't that interesting how God does that? Sometimes your greatest ministries emerge because you get what's going on. You kind of get it. You, nobody understands it better than you. Not only have I kind of battled with this, I shared with you some of our elders have battled with this. I'm gonna invite Bruce Barrett to come up here for a few moments. And as Bruce comes out, I want Bruce just to kind of speak into that whole question or this actually this whole statement of, of how God works in these particular areas. Bruce, tell us a little bit about just your story of this and, and how God worked in this greatest area of pain in your own life. Well, this is something that no parent ever wants to talk to anybody else about, but um, our life was completely shaken and broken apart back on August the 5th of 2013 when we got a call from Amarillo first thing in the morning that our oldest son, Gabe, who at the time was 36, took his life by suicide. Um, we were completely just lost because we didn't know exactly what, number one, why did this happen? So um, we immediately made our way to Amarillo um, we buried our son, and that's when I went into, as you call it, Superman mode, so that I could be there for Debbie, my wife, who was very sad that she couldn't be here with us this morning. She's at home healing from some minor surgery. Um, I needed to be there for the rest of the kids, and I needed to be there for my grandkids. But um, 
we buried him and then Debbie and I came back home and we began the healing process. And in the act of being Superman six months later, I was informed very lovingly by Debbie. Um, she, we were actually at a marriage conference and she shared with me that I was not in a good place. I had gone to a dark place because of the depression over losing my son. And so I went to the doctor as you did. I was placed on some medication. Um, I actually decided that a Stephen minister might be really good for me, which was overwhelmingly the best decision I ever made. I had a young man about Gabe's age walk alongside me for almost a year. And through that process and, and healing began to take place, Debbie and I at that time decided that we would become Stephen ministers. And about two years after Gabe's death, we thought we were in a great place and we wanted to do something because Gabe was one when we put, started putting the pieces of the puzzle together, um, he never really got over the death of his mother. She died when both of our kids together were four. They were in their teenage years. Um, my first wife was 40 when she died from cancer. He never really got over that death. Um, and so he started the cycle of medicating that cloud that he was living in with excessive drinking, and he became a binge drinker. And he would go to doctors, and the doctors would put him on medication for the depression. And when he started feeling well, he thought he was well. So he would go off the medication, which started the cycle all over again. So we decided about two years after his death that we, we wanted to do something to come alongside people to help with that. But God said, no, you're not ready yet. You're not in a good enough place yet. You wait, and I will tell you when. And so several months ago, we were at a, uh, I was at an elders meeting, and Pastor Bart began to share this vision, which I'll let you tell them. Yeah, about. we were in our meeting, and I just said to our elder team, I said, guys, I just, God's been putting something on my heart about just uh, a, a ministry to people who are battling with mental health issues. Uh, you guys kind of know some of my struggles with this, and, and you know, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't, I, I don't know what to do. But here is what I know is that there's probably not a week that goes by. If not, sometimes every day I'm not getting some kind of call where somebody, whether within our congregation or within our community, is battling with something like this that kind of falls under that. And, uh, and so I shared this in our elders meeting, and I had, Bruce and I had not talked about this. Bruce was about to do a backflip in his seat whenever he heard me bring this up. You want to share about that? I, I did. I mean, the bells and the whistles were going off. My eyes were rolling in the back of my head, and I couldn't wait to get home because I knew I couldn't say anything to Bart until I went home and talked to Debbie. And so I go home and I talk to Debbie, and I mean, we're just, we're thanking God because God is saying, now is the time. So the next morning we called and we had a meeting with Bart, and, and we said, we want to be at the forefront of this. And as it turned out, uh, Saddleback Church in October was offering an, an intimate training session for churches to learn how to bring this ministry within their church. And the reason they were doing this is because as it turned out, five months prior to Gabe's death by suicide, Rick and Kay Warren, who's Rick is the pastor of Saddleback, their youngest son, Matthew, died by suicide. And he had battled mental health his entire life and had even talked about that many times with both of his parents. So they, were in, they, wanted, they want to train churches. They want churches to understand how to come alongside people 
that are living with this. And, it, and if the church doesn't do it, guys, who is going to? Jesus tells us everyone is my child and everyone needs to be loved. So we went to the training. We got some great pointers. We brought that back. We just completed our first training session for Hope Leaders, and we had a great informational meeting. We had uh, over 40 people that showed up to our first meeting. We just had 18 people finish the first support group leader training, and they are on fire for this ministry. And I would just ask if, if any of those leaders are here this morning, would you please stand where you're seated and just be recognized right now? Bruce, share just, just real quick, just what, what is your dream? How, what are we dreaming for in this? I mean, I know, uh, real quick though, right? Okay, yeah. okay, I don't, he's not going to let me take the rest of his time. <laughs> the dream is huge. We're, we're starting small. We learn from Saddleback, start small. You go from a crawl to a walk to a run. Well, we're moving from the crawl stage to the walk stage. So we're going to have three different type of support groups. You will find an insert in your program that will explain those. But what you need to understand is all of these leaders, if it's a living with hope, those living with mental illness, our leaders are in a place, they are living with a mental illness. They're under a doctor's care, a therapist's care, the proper medication, and they're, they're at a good place in their life, and they're willing to be vocal about it and talk about it. Families of hope have people in their families or friends that they know that are living with this. And then we have two groups for students, 6th through 12th graders, one for girls and one for boys, so that you can address what is happening in your life that you feel like is bringing you down mentally. And what we want you to understand are these are safe, confidential places where you can be offered love and, mostly importantly, the hope of Jesus Christ, because our groups will be Christ-centered support groups where you can come and share, you can listen to others that have the same struggles that you have, and we can just be a family together. Guys, do you all thank Bruce for coming, Sharon, brother, thank you so much. It is profoundly prevalent, profoundly prevalent, but I know some of you may be going, Bart, I, man, thank you for sharing. I appreciate you being open, but I don't really get it. I mean, is, does the Bible say anything about, about the church stepping into this? You know, what, is it, what does it say about this? And I believe that Scripture does address this in this specific way. Jesus has just been out in the desert, uh, in the wilderness, for, for 40 days, and he's getting ready to launch his ministry and he's being tempted by Satan in all kinds of ways, right? He's about to launch his public ministry. He comes back into his hometown. He goes into the synagogue there with, with all of the people who are in the town. And, and at this point, Jesus opens the scroll. And they didn't have books like what we have. It was a scroll. He opens it, and, and he's reading out of Isaiah 61, which was the reading for the day. And this is what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. We've learned that that's poor in spirit, okay? He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and everybody, just kind of like in here, all eyes were on him. What is he doing with that? What is he, what is he talking about? 
They looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them, and he said these words, the scripture you just heard has been fulfilled, and what he's saying is in me this very day. Jesus was saying, this is what Isaiah says the Messiah looks like, what he's going to do, the things that he's going to be about, and what Jesus was saying is, I am that Messiah. And what he's saying is this. The Messiah is going to stand with those who suffer. I'm going to bind up the brokenhearted. I'm going to free captives. I'm I'm going to release prisoners. I'm going to stand with those who suffer. And I truly believe this. I believe that some of the people who are suffering greatest in our society, many of them are suffering silently. In our world, people who are living with mental health issues, many of them who are family members are struggling with this, are battling with this. And and I know that there's an awful lot about mental illness and mental health stuff that we don't know and that I don't know, okay? I'm still learning a lot about this. But there are things that are becoming clearer and there are things that we are understanding as, as a church that there are reasons why the church should step into this, should press into this. Practical reason, number one, okay, is that who do you think that are calling most of the time, studies show that the first call, typically that those who are battling with a mental health issue, many of them will call your church. Many of them will call us first. And and I got to just tell you, I wasn't prepared for this in seminary. It wasn't talked about. We didn't discuss this in seminary. And so a lot of us, many will call the church first. So it's profoundly prevalent. And yet many of us are ill-equipped to know what to do. So often what we'll do is we'll punt. We punt to the government. We punt to someone else, right? We punt for someone else to come alongside or, or we can be the church and step into brokenness just like Jesus did. Stepping into that. And you see, most people, there's a misunderstanding about mental illness is this, is it's just what it says. It's illness. It's illness. In many cases, it does require medication. It does require professional care. Not in all cases, okay? But the flip side of this is that many would think, well, that there's nothing significant that the church could do. But I would disagree with that. In fact, the church is, is tasked by Jesus to provide hope and to come alongside those who are suffering in that brokenness. All right? It's not our job to fix them. It's not an easy fix. It's not our job to to give some kind of formula and fix whatever's going on, but it is our job to love them and to come alongside people who are battling with this. I realize I'm not qualified to speak to the medical side of this, what might be going on in a person who is battling with this, but I do believe that the church is qualified and we as your spiritual leaders are qualified to speak into the soul of a person who is battling with this. We speak into the personhood of what that person is dealing with, okay? And the soul, it's a holistic kind of approach, body, mind, and soul there, right? There's a biblical reason. We see that Jesus friended people who were battling with things in their life, and he did it in a holistic kind of way. When he would go into villages, he would preach, he would teach, and he would heal, (laughs) And he would come alongside people in a holistic kind of way. And he would share their burden. And even Paul says this. Those who are are battling, Paul says, share the burden. Come alongside people. Don't turn your backs on them. Look, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. And then I love how direct Paul is. If you think you're too important to help someone... You're only fooling yourself. Will you say the next part with me out loud? Let's say it together. What does he say? You're not that important. Don't you love how Paul just says, 
You're not that important. You need to be helping someone. You need to love someone. Come alongside them. So there's a biblical mandate, and there's also a historical reason why we do this, is that the church, throughout our 2,000-year history, has typically been one of the first ones to step into these areas. Some of the greatest hospitals in the world oftentimes were founded and started by the church, not the government, by the church who missionaries would go into places and they would have compassion for people and they would begin to step into these areas. And so it's practical, it's biblical, and it's also historical. And you may be thinking, well, what can the church actually do to help? Well, one of the things that we've learned from Saddleback Church and, and, and that great church is some of the things that they are doing in ministering to people within their congregation, in their community. They've developed an acrostic, and I want to give them credit for this, but I want to just quickly take you through this before we pray here in a moment. But, but each letter of this, of this word church represents an action that our church and our hope ministry will be seeking to enact within our community. Right? The C for church is this. It starts right here. It's just that we care. That we actually have compassion. That we're burdened. That we actually care about people who are battling with this. Love shows up. Love notices. It has awareness. You see, a lot of times people who are battling with this, they feel very marginalized. They feel very ashamed. Remember I told you, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it with you today. But I resist the urge to remain silent about this. I want to open up with you about it because I want to begin the dialogue within our own congregation about this. Many feel excluded. Many feel like they, they're, they can't be a part of a loving church. They feel like they're going to be judged. They feel like they, they can't open up. And the mission of the hope ministry is this. It is extending the radical friendship of Jesus to people who are living with mental illness and their families by providing transforming love, support, and hope. And that radical friendship is the key phrase there because it's the kind of friendship that Jesus had with us. Do we realize Jesus loved us with a reckless kind of love when we didn't even deserve it. It says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, we weren't likable, but he said, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a radical friendship. And then he, not only that, he calls us friends. John 15, he says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Do you realize he could have called us anything, but he said, no, I'm gonna call you my friend. And that's what, it's not fixing them, it's friending. It's coming alongside people. It's caring. The H is about helping. It's about this, this help with basic needs. That's what we can do. It's just coming alongside practical things in just caring, not fixing, but, but you can friend them. It's thinking about someone else other than yourself. It's, it's showing up when no one else is showing up. The U is this. It's utilizing volunteers, and that's something that you've already seen as we've mentioned this back last fall. And as Bruce said, we already had 40 of you that said, I want to volunteer for this. I want to be involved in some kind of way. Already 40, and we just have gotten started. Maybe God will call some of you to be a part of this and to come alongside and help us in this. And here is probably the biggest part of this. What the church can do is the R. It is removing the stigma. Removing the stigma that many people battle with in this. This is going to take time to turn this tide in this area, but the reality is people are afraid to talk about this. 
Some of us are afraid to talk about it who battle with it because we're afraid of, of what people are going to think about us. Um, all kinds of reasons. Some are afraid they're going to be judged. Some are going to be feel like, uh, well, people are going to think I'm unspiritual. They're gonna, some may just tell me to pray more and suck it up or whatever. They're afraid of being thought of in these kinds of ways. And so we just don't want to talk. Do you realize when I have talked about this, do you know how many people have come up to me later and have said, I'm so glad that you opened up about that. And they've kind of been set free just as God kind of set me free whenever I heard Tommy Nelson talk about it, right? And here's just think about this. If a person is diagnosed with diabetes, we don't come alongside them and say, well, you should have prayed more and you wouldn't have gotten that. We don't do that, do we? A person who has a heart problem, a person who has high blood pressure, you know what? If you'd been reading your Bible more, that wouldn't happen to you. We don't say that. If we do, we shouldn't be saying that. If someone breaks their leg, we don't tell them, just pray everything's going to be okay. We don't do that, do we? We say, we want to pray with you, but here's what we need to do. We got to get you to the doctor. We need to get you some help, okay? Sometimes it's going to require medication. But we also can pray for them. We also can serve them. We also can come alongside them. We can remove the stigma. This world is broken. These bodies are broken. These organs in these bodies are broken. And the brain is an organ just like any other organ. And we have to understand this. Everyone needs to hear this. It is not a sin to be sick. It's not a sin to be sick. We get sick because the world is sinful and it's impacted these bodies. The world has fallen. Your chemistry is not your character. Your diagnosis is not your identity. We don't walk up to people and, be, and are like, what's up, heart attack? You know, for people who have had heart problems. We don't do that, right? We don't walk up to people man, or, or talk, man, that guy who has diabetes, can you believe his pancreas is not producing enough, enough insulin, man? Oh, shh, here he comes. Right? We don't do that. Why in this particular area have we allowed the stigma to come in? The main reason I felt compared to share with you my own brokenness is I want to remove this stigma. I want it gone in our church. I want it gone in our community. I want it gone in the church as a whole. Amen, right? Yes. I want it gone. I want us to come alongside people who are broken like Jesus did and love on them. And it, and it doesn't matter. Do you realize CEOs battle with this? Half of the Fortune 500 CEOs have admitted to battling with this at some point, half. You can be a CEO and you could be a middle schooler. This is where we're all broken and we all need some help. Just because your brain gets sick sometimes, you really need to hear this, does not mean you're crazy. Fact of the matter is, I think we're all a little bit crazy. Wouldn't you agree with that? Some of you, you don't know it, right? We're all, we're all a little bit broken. We're all broken. We all struggle. And we just have to acknowledge this. And I've, again, God, why? Why won't you take this away? Here's what God has done with me. He's brought comfort to me through other pastors, through other people. He's brought comfort 
Why? So that I could bring comfort. Look at what he says. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Your greatest ministry often comes out of your greatest brokenness. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Hearing Tommy Nelson's story helped me. I pray my story helps you. We do away with the stigma. Church, the most powerful gift that you can give to people who are battling with this, the most powerful gift is your compassion and your love and your understanding and to stand with them. The church has to stop shooting our wounded. We're supposed to raise them up and love them. Right? To stand with them. Last thing. Collaborate. Well, actually, that would just be chirk, wouldn't it? Okay. Collaborate. <laughs> We're going to partner. We're going to partner with other churches. We've already began reaching out. We want to partner with our school district. We want to partner with others. We want to reach out. We want to partner with counselors in our community. Right? We need to collaborate. And here's the last thing. The real last thing, we should be about offering hope. That's church. We offer hope. Jesus was our wounded healer, and because of that, the church can offer something that no one else can offer. It's hope. Hope in Christ. And I, I love our doctors, and I'm thankful for our doctors, and thank, thank God for the knowledge that they have, but but. And some of them are believers and they're able to offer hope in what they do there. But, but some of them, they're not able to step in in that way that, that I feel like we are qualified to do and to offer hope and to make this a place of hope. So we're excited about these groups that are starting and it's really the beginning of this ministry. You'll be learning more about the ministry and it's gonna grow. We've already began putting this in the, in the next phase of our building. We've already started blocking out a space for this specific ministry. The bottom line is we need each other, don't we? We need each other. I want to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to sing one final song. And it's going to be a song about you coming to Jesus just the way you are. In your brokenness, whatever that may mean for you today. I pray that some of you will begin to experience some freedom today because you've realized today that you're not alone. You've realized that there's a church that loves you. You realize that Jesus loves you and that we're all broken and we need his healing in our lives, not only, not only spiritually, but we, we need his healing in our lives physically, these areas of that wheel, mentally, Jesus was about holistic ministry. And so let's just, let's just offer ourselves back to him today. And let's come to him as we are. Lord, we just bless your name. We thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for stepping into this messy world. Lord, that in spite of our sin, you still loved us. Even when we were unlovable and unlikable, you called us friends. So, Lord, we praise you for that today as we sing this back to you today as worship.
Amen.